0: Well, we're talking about the film Expelled, uh, caused a firestorm of controversy in the US. It's coming over now by DVD to the UK. I'll introduce my guests in just a moment. Let's just hear, though, a little bit about what the film's about in this uh, trailer from the movie.
1: I was viewed as an intellectual terrorist. If you have questioned Darwinism, that's it. Your career is over. I have been told to shut up.
2: Just stand up and question Darwinism. You'll find out how risky that is.
1: There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch God. Religion. I mean, it's
2: just fantasy, basically.
1: Scientists are not allowed to even think thoughts that involve an intelligent creator. We cannot accept to treat intelligent design as an alternative scientific theory. I'm frightened by this, but I'm not going to let it stop me from investigating from speaking about it.
0: There you go. A quick idea of what the film's about. You're unbelievable. <laughs> Well, it's a fascinating subject that we've got for you on the programme today as we do look at the whole subject of intelligent design, particularly in regard to the film Expelled. Expelled, the movie, comes to British shores at the end of January via DVD. And uh, in the studio with me today, Peter Atkins, professor of chemistry at Lincoln College, Oxford, a well-known atheist and scientist, and, um, well, frankly, very anti-religious in his views, and we'll be finding out more about that. Mark Havel also joins me in the studio. He runs a Christian film and media company. He's behind uh, bringing over Expelled to British shores on dvd and we're also got the pleasure of having stephen c meyer join us via phone from the states he is one of the world's key proponents of intelligent design a co-founder of the discovery institute we'll be finding out his views on the film today as well Well, welcome, gentlemen, all. It's a delight to have you all with me on the programme today. Um, First of all, um, let's go to our guest across the pond, I think. Uh, We'll we'll give him that courtesy uh, because he's woken up very early in the morning to speak to us today. So a very warm welcome to you, Stephen. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Um, Tell us, Stephen, uh, intelligent design. How long have you been in this field? What got you into it?
3: Well, I got into it during my... uh PhD years in, uh, in Cambridge, England, I had been exposed to some of the early proponents of intelligent design and had left for graduate st- uh, studies in 1986 with kind of a burning question. And that was whether or not a uh, rigorous scientific argument could be developed uh, for intelligent design based on the information bearing properties of DNA. And naturally, um, I studied the works of Darwin and found that uh, because he had developed a rigorous method of scientific study, of events in the remote past and he had a key principle of reasoning which is that if you're trying to explain an event in the remote past you should be looking for causes that are known to produce the effect in question the key effect in question for scientists studying the origin of the first life was the origin of the information the digital code stored along the spine of the dna molecule where did it come from and what we know from experience from our uniform and repeated experience which is the basis of all scientific reasoning is that information comes from an intelligent source whether we're talking about a hieroglyphic inscription, a paragraph in a book, a headline in a movie, or a headline in a a newspaper, or a a section of code in, in a software program, whenever we trace information back to its source, we always come to a mind, not a material process. So the discovery of digital code along the spine of the DNA molecule and the whole complex information processing system that surrounds it I concluded, is de- uh, decisive evidence of intelligent design. In fact, I clu- concluded that on the basis of Darwin's own method of scientific reasoning, which, again, credits our knowledge of cause and effect as the the key, uh, uh, key criterion by which to decide what constitutes the best scientific explanation for any phenomenon.
0: Well, that is essentially the field that you've worked in, that you've, as it were, written books on, your latest book Signature in the Cell on that very subject. But you... Are abhorred really by certain sections of the scientific community? The intelligent design is denounced as bunk, as um, creationism dressed up in scientific clothes, um, and the film expelled cheap really tuxedos, was tuxedos. Yes, yeah, we're
3: dressed up in a cheap
0: tuxedo. <laughs> a cheap tuxedo. Um, tell me though, the the film expelled. Um, it's it, it had a lot, you know, a, quite a big release in America. Probably more people went to see it than the uh, producers were expecting. Caused a lot of controversy as well, and. And the movie claims that freedom of thought is at stake in the scientific community. You were one of the key interviewees on that film. Is that your view, that um, the scientific evidence isn't being heard properly?
3: Well, I think the, the the very things that you just said is, as uh, re- repeating the common objections to intelligent design show the nature of the debate instead of responding to the arguments that we're making, in particular the argument from information or the argument from the presence of nanotechnology inside Living cells are the evidence for design that you find in the fine-tuning of the laws of physics and chemistry. In fact, there are several classes of, of very compelling evidence for intelligent design. Instead of responding to those evidences and arguments based on them, we get this kind of name-calling: ch- t- creationists in, ch- in cheap tuxedos, uh, science masquerading as or religion, masquerading as science, and that's a, a sure sign that the, the argument is, is, is not being joined. Uh, <clears throat> on a On an academic footing, but rather is just trying to be settled with with uh you know with name calling or suppression and what expelled did was document the case for four or five key cases of leading scientists who have challenged Darwinian evolution and simply showed what what has happened to them and the way in which their views have been suppressed or in which their careers have been damaged or in which uh, the ways in which they 've been um, kept from pursuing their academic interests within academia because because of the, the opposition to the, their viewpoint.
0: Let's bring in at this point Peter Atkins. Um, Peter, um, your name probably synonymous with chemistry textbooks uh, for any uh, undergraduate anywhere. Um, you're, you're effectively the benchmark in that area. Um, science, I'm sure, has been your passion, has been your life. Um, do you feel that intelligent design can ever counters scientific inquiry?
2: Absolutely not. I mean, it's um, not just creationism... In a, t- a cheap tuxedo, it's, it's a straw man in a, in, a, in a cheap tuxedo. There's no science at all involved in it. But I, I don't want this, um, the, this session to be name-calling. I think a lot of that does go on, for, for, for very good reason in my view. But I am prepared to address some of the issues that, uh, that Stephen has, has raised. And I would go right back to his opening remark. Where he said that information cannot emerge without someone, a more intelligent entity, creating that information. I'm right, that's more or less what you said, isn't it, Stephen?
0: Is that
3: correct, Stephen? I'm saying that what we know from our experience is that information always arises from an intelligent source. Yeah, exactly. The signature in the cell I also show that. Yeah, uh, let me me, me continue. The the information that you find in the cell uh, have failed, whether you're talking about. Uh, self organizational th- uh theories or, or rna world or uh or uh, the theory is based on chance, or chance in the combination of natural selection. So. Yeah,
2: no. Let, let me interrupt there because all I wanted to establish is that your your premise, as the basis for being an intelligent designer, is that information cannot arise spontaneously; that there needs to be an agent behind the information. Yes, that's what Do, we know from experience. That's what we know from right. experience. Right. Now, that's right. absolutely wrong, and that's where I want to engage you. Uh, it, there are numerous examples of structures emerging without an agent actually generating the structure. And information, be it uh, the information encoded in DNA, is just a kind of structure. Do you want me to go on?
3: No. Well, structure and information is an equivocation. There are lots of structures that do spontaneously arise through self-organizational processes. If you drain a bathtub, you get a nice symmetrical vortex. But and that is information. About, when we're talking about functionally specified digital information using, uh, uh, and this was the key insight of, of, of Francis Crick in 1957 with the sequence hypothesis was that it was his recognition not just that there was a beautiful double helix structure in the DNA molecule but rather along the spine of that structure there were four chemicals that were functioning like alphabetic letters in a written language or digital characters in the Well we, we all words.
2: know that, I mean that, that's, that's, that's that's old hat but that, well, That's old that hat, is, but that's, what has not that, been explained that, sorry, since le- 1957 le- le- is le-
3: the origin of that information, please don't, uh, that's been a Problem for those trying to explain the origin of the first life. Okay, so so In it, my it, book I call that the DNA look, enigma, and that has not been resolved. And Professor Dawkins acknowledged that at the very end of, of Expelled. That look, you can go no on, please.
2: Look, uh, okay, let, don't don't <laughs> use the <laughs> typical <laughs> tactics of intelligent design and creationism by being a steamroller, overriding. Uh, serious argument i'm prepared to engage with you if you will engage with serious argument with me and i want and i want and i just answered it sir and i want space to develop my argument and i don't want you just to interrupt me every time i get closer to the truth than that, that you actually enjoy yes. information can grow without an agent the if, uh, one of my favorite laws of nature is the second law of thermodynamics it 's a wonderful law because it it accounts for the emergence of structures and structures include information uh, w- without an inter- internal agency. All you need to do to understand the second law is to know that s- the universe as a whole is becoming more chaotic more Uh, more disorganized. But it isn't just falling into disorder. There are local abatements of chaos that are driven by the universe falling into disorder. And those local abatements of chaos constitute information. Now, the fact that DNA is... A sequence of 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 bases is simply a physical way of in, of carrying that information, but it has grown through evolution. Over
3: to well, you. The, the, uh, yeah, sure. That's that's a pure assertion, though. The, what do you mean is th- a pure
2: assertion? Well, well there's let plenty me, of evidence. Let for me it. now
3: develop my argument, Professor. Uh, the, I absolutely accept that energy flow through a system can produce spontaneous order. That was uh, that idea was. Developed extensively in uh, in Prigogine's work in the 1970s, and I address that in my book. And also
2: the in the 19 spon- spontaneous
3: order is not the same thing as information. Yes, it is it's a distinction between order and information, and and it, um, the uh, uh, the kind of order that you find in a spiral, uh, wave current, or in a vortex. Is, is not the same kind of order that it is in, principle. in a DNA molecule, which is not order but specified complexity. What do you mean and by specified in, in, complexity? In, and in the DNA molecule itself, you can see this because the, the, uh, the, the chemical uh, bonds that allow for the structure of the molecule as a whole do not determine the sequence of the bases in the, in the DNA molecule.
2: No, uh, evolution it, determines that.
3: Well, that's, that is just an assertion. That's what remains. What to be do you mean proven. it's an assertion? You have, to, you have to point to a physical process that is capable of doing the work of sequencing the bases, and, the, and the, well, that's, that's the, the, the N-glycosidic bonds, you know the chemistry, sir, are not responsible for that sequencing. They allow any one of the four bases to attach to the, to the molecule at any place. So there's no physical or chemical determinism that's responsible for the sequencing of the critical but... information-bearing... Uh, bases along the spine of the molecule. Uh, a uh, fundamental uh, mystery. It's uh, not I'm explained the, by self-organization. Absolutely.
2: I'll, I'll let you say that. But um, will you – I think that you won't accept that evolution has occurred. Yes or no?
3: Well – Yes or no? Evolution mean, meaning change yes over time. Yes or no? But you need to – what I show in the, in the book Signature in the Cell is that none of the none of the, uh, the chemical evolutionary Theories, whether they be based on chance, whether they be based on natural law, or whether they be based on the combination of the two, have accounted for the information that's, that is inscribed along the spine of the DNA molecule, or for that matter, in RNA as well. But, so the informational problem, which is essentially the problem of how you get the information bearing characters of the genetic message. To, uh, to arise, how you get them to be sequenced properly so that they're functional has not been accounted for by simply energy flow through a system. Can,
0: can, can I just give a quick pause in, in this discussion? It is fascinating and, and hearing you two going at it hammer and tongs is, is is really interesting. We'll come back with a response from you, Peter, yeah, sure. in just a moment. I just wanted to, to, to introduce our other guest uh, before we go any further into the show, because we've, we've gone off at a steamroller pace in, in a certain direction and, and, um, uh, I, and, and perhaps just as well talk a little bit about the theme of the movie, which obviously looks at the science, though obviously it can only do it really in a, you know, obviously a very big way. Um, uh, uh, but but more the, the theme that this is a serious aspect of science, which is being, you know, squeezed out. And, and obviously Peter... Your, your contention would be presumably it isn't worth being called science. Therefore, of course, it Which should be. Not science. Uh, well, let, let's bring in Mark. Mark, you you are bringing this um, DVD to sure. to our shores now. Why has it caused such a firestorm of controversy? Do you think? Uh,
4: I I think be- before I answer that, the thing I have to comment on is when uh, Professor Atkins asks a question like, "Has evolution taken place? Yes or no?" Um, that's rather like me saying to you, have you stopped beating your wife? Because I'm guiding you to a yes or no answer. What's you can't... wrong with yes or no answers? Well, the reason is because you have to define what kind of evolution you're talking about.
2: Okay, the evolution that has taken
4: us from inorganic matter to our current biosphere. So you're talking about not cosmic, not chemical, not stellar or planetary, but organic. But then when you're talking about organic, are you talking about macro or micro? and are you talk.
3: talking about directed or undirected? Uh, the the term is fraught with uh, with ambiguity. Well, no,
2: okay, I'll clarify that. then. Undirected, yes, and
3: undirected, and, and chemical evolution is there? A, is there a, an accepted theory of chemical evolution that accounts for the origin of life? Even your colleague, Professor Dawkins, acknowledged at the end of Expelled that there is not, and that and that quote, "No one knows" from an evolutionary point of view how life first began
2: no but there's, uh, we're,
4: there's no there's, shortage no one of ideas knows, and
3: why isn't it acceptable to, to, to discuss that and to question that That's what the, the
4: oh absolutely the yeah, But I, I, well, that's what we're talking about now yeah, I mean what, com- coming back to, to the movie that essentially is the point and that is when we're talking about science when we're talking about evolution What to- what type of science are we talking about are we talking about empirical science in other words something which relates to observation and experiment rather than just theory When we're talking about evolution, are we talking about adaptations uh, within kinds, which everyone accepts happens? Are we talking about cells to everything, you know, from, from slime to monkeys to Tony Blair or whatever? We really need to define those terms. And that's where people who are on opposing sides are effectively being silenced because those things are worth talking about and those terms do need defining so that people can understand exactly what the argument is about Let's just
0: take the opportunity at this point to give out the email address if you want to respond to anything you've heard on the programme thus far you can email me that's unbelievable at premier.org.uk and I'll do my best to read your email out in next week's programme. You can also phone 08456 525252 and select option 8. Don't forget that this podcast available now at the webpage premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Do check it out and uh, I'm linking to various aspects of today's programme there as well as other shows that may be of interest to you. Um, and don't forget our event, which is also available uh, to view there uh, when we're screening the film and followed by a debate on Saturday the 27th of February.
4: Unbelievable with Justin Brierly.
0: Uh, let's get back into our debate now and we're going to hear a clip from the film, Ben Stein now on the case of the scientist who, the film claims, has been expelled because of um, links to intelligent design.
1: I have always assumed that scientists were free to ask any question to pursue any line of inquiry without fear of reprisal, but recently I've been alarmed to discover that this is not the case. It all began when I met evolutionary biologist Richard Sternberg in Washington, D.C. His life was nearly ruined when he strayed from the party line while serving as editor of a scientific journal affiliated with the prestigious Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. Your office was over there? That's correct. This here is the West Wing. Directly ahead of us is the West Wing of the Natural History Museum. So now you're not there anymore because you're a bad boy. No, I'm not. No, I was, I was exiled. You're a bad boy. You questioned the powers that be. What was Dr. Sternberg's crime? He dared to publish an article by Dr. Stephen Meyer, one of the leading lights of the intelligent design movement. The paper ignited a firestorm of controversy merely because it suggested intelligent design might be able to explain how life began. As a result, Dr. Sternberg lost his office, his political and religious beliefs were investigated, and he was pressured to resign. The questioning of Darwinism was, was a, a bridge too far for many. The mentioning of intelligent design that occurs at the end of the paper was was over the top.
0: Let me come back to you, Stephen, because the, the film starts out with the case of one particular scientist who lost his job at the Smithsonian Institute. Um, this was Richard Sternberg, and, and he um, published a, a paper of yours um, in a peer-reviewed journal and lost his job for it. Now, um, tell us a little bit of the background to this and, and why you believe this was a... a an example of someone being expelled for 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 the reason of putting forward well, He didn't
3: he didn't lose his job he had his office taken away his uh, access to scientific samples his keys his friendly colleagues were interrogated as to his religious and political beliefs and affiliations he was transferred underneath the supervision of a uh, fellow scientist who was known to be hostile to him and then he was ultimately demoted um, uh, so it wasn't it was that he lost his job, but his situation was made virtually untenable at the mm. Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian. The background was that uh, Sternberg, who was himself uh, an evolutionary biologist with two earned PhDs in biology, uh, was a longtime Darwin doubter, not, a, not an advocate of intelligent design, at least not at the time, and uh... he wanted to see the debate about intelligent design aired out in an appropriate scientific forum uh... and had had uh, been editing this journal the proceedings of the biological society of washington uh, at the which was published out of the smithsonian for some time so uh, when i submitted a paper on the the problem of the the uh, the problem of the origin of information particularly as it relates to the, uh, an event in the history of life called the cambrian explosion uh... he was intrigued with it and sent it out for peer review the 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 article came back from the three peer reviewers with recommendations to publish contingent upon certain revisions being made i uh, made those revisions resubmitted the paper uh, sternberg found them acceptable and and published the paper once the paper was published uh, the lid came off at the Smithsonian within about a week there was just an intense public controversy it spilled over into the science press uh, the science and nature uh, um, uh the, uh... the new scientist a number of scientists uh... science publications covered it and then it and then it finally spilled over into the mainstream press as well and that's when it got ben stein's attention and it was one of the stories that he covered uh... sternberg's uh... treatment was uh... horrific and it was eventually documented by an independent government watchdog organization in our federal government called the Office of Special Counsel, which investigated uh, the reports of his treatment and found that they found all the things that I had just mentioned were uh, I mean, done to him.
0: It sounds like, you know, the kind of reaction that would take place if he had published the findings of a witch doctor or something. But, yeah, well, I mean, well, exactly. Y- yeah. what, but the the point is a, 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 the film suggests, and I assume you, you, you follow the point, that Darwinian evolution is, if you like, um, an untouchable holy grail and, and if anything is done to question that orthodoxy then that person is effectively deemed as anti-scientific and so that is how the Smithsonian reacted to that that's, publication.
3: That's exactly what you just said and, and Peter indicated that the by his own words the, the very attitude that's at the root of this and it has to do with an arbitrary definition uh, not of evolution, but of science. He, he kept asserting a minute ago that there's no science at all involved in intelligent design. Well, and yet, when I, when, I started the, the, when I explained the argument that I've made in the signature in the cell, mm-hmm. I explained that the, the argument is based on a standard method of scientific reasoning. In fact, the very method that Darwin himself used It's called the method of multiple competing hypotheses. And, and it's based on the discoveries of the information-bearing properties of DNA, the discovery of nanotechnology inside cells, the discovery of the fine-tuning the laws of physics and chemistry. So it's based on a scientific method and based on scientific evidence, and yet you have these categorical denunciations of the theory as being not scientific because it doesn't meet an arbitrary definition of science that has been accepted and promulgated by many materialist scientists since the late 19th century. And that's the idea that if you're going to be a scientist, you must limit yourself to only materialistic explanations and you can't even consider the possibility of the design hypothesis. Well, let's
0: allow Peter to respond to that, Stephen.
3: Well,
2: let me uh, me try not to be angry, (laughs) Which which I am not very good at, but I am trying to do that. I think there is one good thing about intelligence design so i I will, I will make a concession to you stephen uh, which is that you do ask interesting questions you inter- you ask you know, how does the eye develop you ask how does information emerge in in the cell things like that and these are in my view valid questions and I think it uh, is up to we Darwinians we materialists and so on to confront those questions because they are real definite proper, probing questions. But what we don't want to be told is the answer before we begin. And that's where we diverge from you, because you intelligent designers, you you know, covet creationists. You you start from the, uh, a, a kind of prejudice that it had to be the, the finger of God who was sparing.
0: Hang on, don't life. you start from a, a similar prejudice on the other side? Peter, no, that, no, that no, There no, is no, no God, I, therefore there cannot possibly no, a, a no, be a divine.
2: Yeah, I, I start from the you know the um, I, a good friend of mine, William of Ockham, is where I begin. That I start from you know, the simplicity of hypotheses. If I think that we can explain everything, and I will accept Stephen New coming in in a moment saying that we can't explain everything yet, um, I think that if we can explain everything without having to invoke supernaturalism of any kind, then we are showing what a Christian should think of as an extraordinarily um, wonderful aspect of God's only image, man, that 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 human human beings are endowed with such intelligence that they can work things out. Uh, let,
0: let's just have a quick um, sure. mark here, and then we'll come back to you, Stephen.
3: Can I just uh, thank the good professor for the concession that he did make? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what uh, concession uh, will you make? <laughs> Organizationalists made the same point, that we're asking important questions, and if that's the case, uh, even if we differ about our definition of science or our understanding of what constitutes an explanation for Professor Atkins, an explanation is only really an explanation if it 's posited by reference to materialistic processes that is correct but but for for, for us we we regard the activity of mind as explanatory if you 're looking at the Rosetta stone. You can look in vain if you limit yourself to materialistic explanations of wind and erosion and the like, and and, and don't open yourself to the possibility that mind played a role in the or, in the. Or, or but you see, we accept, we think of mind. We think of those those characters. But so mind, mind is a reality. Mind is material.
2: Mind what, what is what a that? mind is an activity of the brain. And the brain is solely well, that, materialistic. That's a
3: materialistic precept on your part. But it takes us into the whole discussion of mind and body. Yeah.
0: Let, let's, um, Mark, what were you going to say? And we're going to take a quick break.
4: Sure. Well, <clears throat> having been warned by Professor Atkins that he has trouble <laughs> retaining his composure, and he might just swat me in a moment. So I'll take my life in my hands and say, personally, I think the materialistic position is uh, socially dangerous. Um, and of course, it's a presupposition, as well. And one of the things that expelled is trying to show people is that you have a ruling elite, a ruling paradigm, if you like, that is enforcing everyone else in you know what they have to believe and what they can what they can teach and so on, on the basis, in some cases, that uh, ideas from intelligent design or even creationism uh, are not scientific; that they're, they're stupid, they're ridiculous, or whatever. But what the public are not aware of generally is that actually some of the materialistic ideas are just as absurd. Um, I mean, what mean? If, I, if, well, if I could quote you, Professor Atkins? Yeah. I'm quoting you secondhand, so if it's wrong, forgive me. Right. I'm quoting you from David Belinsky's uh, book, The Devil's Delusion, where you say, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, that basically, uh, you know, science will only be able to claim or, you know, or achieve complete victory when it convinces everybody that which is thought impossible that everything can come out of nothing now in normal life if a person uh, tried try to teach uh, that everything that we can see everything that we know everything we can experience actually comes out of nothing normally you'd keep a person like that away from heavy machinery and sort of sit them in the corner somewhere so there are things like that on the other side too
0: We're going to have to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. really exciting discussion here, and um, uh, it's fascinating to hear our guests go at it. Uh, Intelligent design, that's the subject of Expelled the Movie, coming to a DVD near you. Um, being released on the 25th of January, and uh, we'll be giving you details how you can pick up the DVD if you're interested in watching it. Uh, we'll be posting a link to the uh, the Amazon website where you can get hold of it with this podcast. So uh, do stay tuned as we continue to explore the themes that the film brings up with my guests, Dr Stephen C. Meyer, uh, uh, Peter Atkins, Professor of Chemistry in Oxford, and Mark Havel. Welcome back to our discussion on intelligent design here on Premier Christian Radio. This is Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking. Um, Let's listen to another clip from the film before we launch back into our debate, uh, as we hear more about the claims the film makes about the suppression of intelligent design theory in the scientific community.
1: If you want peer reviews, if if you want to be
2: published, if you want to go to respected institutions, the the core view does not tolerate dissent. There's kind of a, this is the way it is, and anybody who's a
1: dissenter should be squashed. Are you gonna be on my side if I let you up? Sure, kick, sure, I'm on your side. Just set me up, I'll do anything you say. Souter isn't the only one who's witnessed the Academy's tactics. Journalist Larry Witham has seen similar behavior during his 25 years of covering the evolution controversy. Once you're, you're thick in science, you can't question the paradigm, but if you want to get grants if you want to be elected to high positions, if you want to be get awards as a promoter of public education of science, you can't question the paradigm.
2: People cannot be trusted to form their own opinion. This business about open-mindedness is
1: nonsense. Why is the scientific establishment so afraid of free speech? You're listening
0: to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the program as we continue to look at Expelled the Movie. It was released in America um, 2008, I think, and uh, it's just making its way now over to British shores on DVD. Special extra features that you'll be able to find on there if you uh, have happened to have seen the American edition. Um, so uh, lots of interesting things. And uh, don't forget, uh, we're hosting a screening of the film and um, we've got details, and I'll give them again uh, towards the end of this section of the programme, of how you can join us at that screening in the debate that will follow, uh, not dissimilar to the debate we're having today. Uh, so uh, check out the website for more details, premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. Stephen C. Meyer is one of the key proponents of intelligent design in the world. It's a privilege to have him on the programme today. Also, Peter Atkins, privileged to have one of probably the most outspoken atheists uh, among the scientific community with us. And uh, he's made no bones about the way he feels about intelligent design as um, a scientific endeavour. Stephen, um, the the whole film is about um, whether intelligent design theorists are being given a fair crack of the whip um, now, it was interesting to hear Peter say, well, you've got some interesting ideas. Now, you were just starting to make a case uh, as we came to the end of that section that, well, if there's interesting ideas, surely they need to be talked about and argued over and discussed in a fair fair environment.
3: Well, right. I'm, I had a, a, one of my tutors at, at Cambridge uh, used to say that uh, he said, beware the sound of one hand clapping. If there's an argument on one side of, of a question. There's bound to be an argument on the other. And in fact, one of the things we know about how science progresses is that science progresses as the result of scientists disagreeing about how to interpret the evidence. The The debate about intelligent design and Darwinism is not a debate about the facts. The The, the same facts are conceded on both sides. The question is about how to interpret the facts and what we will allow as possible explanations of those facts. And there are two different points of view in that. And I, I think the, the public and, and science... Uh, upcoming science students have uh, are, are well served when those both point of view both those points of view are allowed to be aired, and that's that's the central message of Expelled.
2: Why why then don't we have a session on intelligent falling instead of general relativity? So,
3: I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what point you're making. Why,
0: why should we ass- assign intelligence to this particular field when we don't do it with other
2: scientists? I mean, that's, that's it. Although you know, things um, fall down. Uh, the, planets stay kind, in it's orbit. Con-
3: it's a very simple answer to that. It's the context of inquiry. If I'm asking what does nature ordinarily do under some circumstances X, hmm. uh, I've asked a question about what nature does. Uh, without the assistance of intelligence. I'm asking uh, 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 how one part of matter, the material world, interacts with another. Uh, I'm asking uh, the context of inquiry dictates that I won't be be trying to provide a causal explanation involving intelligence or non-intelligence. But if I ask the question... How did nature, some part of nature, arise in the first place? It's a logic. It's at least a logically possible answer. Well, I think the, was... the origin of life, for example, was assisted by an intelligent agent, and that's something uh, that we 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 don't want to preclude from consideration. Otherwise, we may end up just settling the question by definition, saying that. Uh, to be scientists, we must answer all questions by materialistic explanations well if you if you decide that in advance, then you 'll get a materialistic explanation, but it may not in fact be the true explanation. It may not be the explanation the evidence is pointing to. so the context of inquiry in science can can uh, dictate different types of answers as being allowable, and we're talking about origins. Certainly, intelligence is one of the types of explanations that might have played a role.
2: Yeah, but uh, science is a, a reticulation of ideas, a whole network of ideas that hang together. We find, for example, that cosmology depends upon properties of fundamental particles. The very large depends upon the properties of the very small, and vice versa. It's not a series of islands of inquiry. Every branch of inquiry in science interacts in some way or other with another no, no inquiry, no field of inquiry is an island just to paraphrase John Donne really um, and that's true also of biology and, but the trouble is whereas general relativity doesn't get up people's noses if they're believers evolution and the biosphere does get up People's noses, because in some way it seems to conflict with their prejudices. But well, you know, I, you know, I, I did want to
0: broach this subject.
3: This, accepting evolutionary ideas and came to the idea of intelligent design because of yes, the, but you see, it doesn't it doesn't
2: fit into the the reticulation of scientific understanding. Where well, well, what we you, do is looking science for expert. No, let me finish. Let me have my go. What we're doing is looking for the simplest possible type of understanding. And the simplest possible type of understanding is to look for universal laws of nature, which, when allowed to run their course, result in this fantastic, wonderful world that we inhabit. That's all. And we don't want to have to say to give up. Give up the ghost at one point and invoke the Holy Ghost instead.
0: Let, let me just come back to you, Stephen, because the, the whole idea of uh, create. Um Uh, intelligent design being a a front for basically people who want to put the Bible back into the classroom or something is is often brought up um, I mean one interesting thing about the film is it's not just Christians who are on camera there's people who wouldn't particularly claim a Christian faith who are also critical of Darwinian evolution such as um, David Belinsky and um, Steve Fuller Um, I mean is is this something that you're wary of sort of being labelled as as a religious organisation?
3: Yeah it's it's just a mis uh, misrepresentation uh, of what the theory of intelligent design is creationism is an attempt to uh, understand biological, you know, how life got here by using the Bible as the source document. It's a deduction or interpretation of religious authority. Intelligent design is an inference from biological data using the same principles of reasoning that are used in, in by other scientists, uh, such as Darwin, for example. It's a, it's it's scientific in its basis. Yeah. Uh, it may have larger worldview implications, but then so again does Darwinism, uh, as as Professor Atkins would himself attest. So. Uh, the, the critical thing here is that science is, is as he says, a re- uh, reticulation of ideas, interrelated ideas, but it's also a search for truth. And what the ID proponents are arguing is, is first of all, that there is evidence for intelligent design, but also that the rules of science should not be applied in such a way as to prevent scientists from searching for the truth and from considering whatever explanation provides the best account of the evidence that we're looking at. And given what we know about the cause and effect structure of the world, namely that information as opposed to mere order uh, always does arise from an intelligent source. That's wrong. Think that that, that, that is should, simply wrong. I'm afraid that is absolutely wrong you've understood the, the distinction between order and uh, information
2: I think the Discovery Institute should close its doors because well. it's obviously based on on, on a, uh, a, a, a falsity a falsehood okay. but I'm sure you won't do that uh, I'd,
3: I'd encourage readers to, to get a copy of my book and look at the section on, on uh, the two chapters on self-organization there's a very clear distinction between symmetrical order of the kind Professor Atkins is talking about and the asymmetrical aperiodic Sequence sequences of characters you find in, in a message text whether you're talking about DNA or computer code it, it's just an equivocation that he keeps coming back to over and over again
0: I mean you you, you come in for a lot of criticism um, not just from Peter Atkins I, I contacted one or two other skeptics as well, atheists um, before this program um, Julian Bugini, for example um, who um, is an atheist philosopher here um, d- said when, when I got in touch with him, the discovery lot are thoroughly disreputable um, I mean, what what's what's causing this particular kind of backlash against your organization, Stephen?
3: Well, I think it's there. Is, you're, you're talking to people who have a strong pre-commitment to materialism or atheism. But why
0: would they say and you're what disreputable? What have you been doing or saying it, that makes you disreputable?
3: Yes, well, I, I you'd have to let them answer that question. But I, I think what's actually what's disreputable is we're challenging the rules of science as they have. Uh, rather self serving and arbitrary rules of science, which they have been using to shut down the debate. And this has been a, I think that's what's really disreputable, is that rather than allowing those interesting questions that we're posing to be to be uh, raised and discussed openly but
2: they are members discussed of
3: members Sorry. of the of the, of the <laughs> evolutionary establishment are attempting to suppress dissent on the contrary on which the contrary exactly well, what the movie expelled is about and which is the phenomenon of documents
2: all, all the uh, questions that surface. you raised all the questions that you that interest you interest us we're we're fascinated why, why won't by, you why won't by, you
0: let Stephen publish his paper then on uh, because, on, on the issue uh, because if, if it's such an interesting issue and in you Happy to uh, <laughs> to talk about it <laughs> because it's outside the, the the
2: mode of standard scientific procedure. That, there, uh,
3: we have, uh, we, there we have there we the have the problem being set absolutely down by a definitional convention. That's exactly. You, you it's look like it's like the foxes guarding the henhouse,
4: yeah. if I might add. And 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 here's the problem as well. Um, when you when you're going over these subjects again, you've got to come back to basic definitions. What is empirical science? And well, cells to everything evolution is not empirical science. It's if you're talking about microevolution, adaptation, you're talking about things that you can see, which are testable, which are repeatable, which you can witness. So effectively, macroevolution is just microevolution with assumptions. Salotapes on the oh, side.
2: What absolute nonsense!
4: I mean, <laughs> the whole of um, of uh, paleobiology
2: is um, uh, is a collection of evidence for evolution, and it's empirical. Really,
3: uh, and I, also, I, I agree with Professor Atkins on that. It is empirical. Uh, However, evolutionary biology uses a distinctive method of scientific reasoning, which I, in my PhD thesis, called historical scientific reasoning, which is a perfectly valid form of of scientific reasoning. In developing my case for intelligent design, however, I use exactly that form of scientific reasoning. So if Darwin's method of reasoning in the origin of species is properly considered scientific, which I believe it is, then the case for intelligent design should also be considered scientific because it's using exactly the same mode of reasoning. Mm.
2: But you see, uh, Stephen, I think if I were to identify uh, a, a single deficiency of your of your procedures, it's your intellectual laziness, because you say that we you know, we need the finger of God effectively. I mean, you you you're you're pretending that it's an agent who does things in the background, and you're terrified to call it God, but because of you know, um, federal restraints on you and things like that. But that's basically what you're saying, and i th- my position is the human mind and in particular the scientific method that has emerged as the apotheosis of the renaissance the apotheosis of the enlightenment and of which every believer should be immensely proud to be in possession of and is a part of the glory if you like of of the of the physical world um we're using that. We're using the brain to, to come to understanding. We know that there are difficult questions. We know that we've got to struggle. We know that we haven't got to the end of understanding yet. What, but what, with what, our brains, we're going to go forward until we understand. What, what it you sounds like back, you're
0: saying is, is that, that what Stephen's suggesting would mean an end to science because yeah, you're effectively saying that we don't know. It's too complicated, yeah. therefore we're not going to try and yeah. find out anymore. more. And,
2: and to yeah, teach that I mean, to the kids to, to, does, and,
4: yeah. and to teach that to children... I think is child abuse. So, quite honestly, I think the the atheistic materialist position <laughs> uh, is actually a god of the gaps in terms of of lack of knowledge.
3: Well, well, can I respond to the, the lazy god of the gaps argument from ignorance? I mean, there's you, a whole you do that, and then we will let Mark Mark yeah, um, yeah. And I, speak And I love the little or. barb at the end about the child abuse. So, I mean, that's just typical of the rhetoric. Um, the, the, in fact, the, the argument that uh, I developed for intelligent design and signature in the cell and the argument that Michael Behe develops in Darwin's Black Box, these are not arguments from ignorance. They're not arguments based on what we don't know. No, I agree they're based, with that. Uh, they're arguments based upon what we do know, not only about what, evolu- what undirected processes of evolution can and can't produce, but also about what we know from our uniform and repeated experience about another type of cause that cause being agency or mind. God, and, and do you mean God? Do, re- do you mean God? What's that? Do you mean God
2: when you say agency? I God, is,
3: uh, God, I mean God. Is a, uh, I think it's a likely candidate. But I, again, I'm using the method that Darwin put forward, which is the so-called no, principle not. of vera causa reasoning. What we know from our experience is that a mind is necessary to produce functionally specified digital information. Nonsense. That, that's, that is the, the, the basis of the nonsense. argument that I'm making. Uh, no, so I think you that's should, something we know uh, from experience. Now, once you have come to the supposition that there is an intelligent designer responsible for certain features of life, that leads... To additional research questions. And in the, in the, at the very end of my book, Signature in the Cell, I have an epilogue of those, uh, uh, those research questions, laying out those research questions, a research agenda for intelligent design. And I also have an appendix listing 10 separate predictions that the theory of intelligent design makes. So it's not a science stopper at all. And in fact, if you go back to the beginning of the scientific revolution, to the period of Newton and Boyle and Kepler, um, those scientists accepted intelligent design as a starting point for their science. They thought that because na- they, they thought that nature was intelligible because it had been designed by a rational agent, and they believed that that intelligibility made the enterprise of science possible. Yeah.
2: And in 300 years, so it's not years. been a
3: science stopper from the beginning. It's been the, it's really been literally uh, the science.
2: Story. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think they were driven, you know, trying to understand the mind of God. But that was 300 years
4: ago. We've moved on. Well, what about Max Planck? That wasn't 300 years ago. What about Maxwell
3: or, 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 or James Clark Maxwell? What or about the, James the, the, Clark Maxwell. Well, go, go, or, or go, 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 who elaborate on today, that. Who are motivated by the same, the, the same understanding I, of nature.
4: I'd like Mark to elaborate on that. When what do you mean by that? Well, if I'm understanding Professor Atkins correctly, he's saying, well, because it's sort of antiquated and a few hundred years ago, we've sort of moved on from there, and we've got smarter, and and, and we've left these silly superstitions behind. Um, that's not an argument. It's still not arguing about the facts, first of all, and secondly. There are lots of scientists today who do good science, whether they are atheists, whether they are theists of one kind or another, whether they have no religious beliefs whatsoever. So that that's not an argument. What we need to keep the argument on, if you like, is the facts mm. and coming back to the data. Okay, and so what, what, sorry, what do you mean by the facts? You mean the fact of evolution,
2: the fact of macroscopic evolution, the fact of m- molecular evolution,
4: the fact – of what? Well, because if we're talking about whichever particular area of evolution, let's what? say we take uh, the idea of macroevolution, that uh, new information would have to be added to uh, the DNA. So to, what? And that does not happen. It cannot happen. There is no biological known mechanism well, that can add information, new yeah. information yes, to the is. DNA. Yes, there is. And tell us what it is.
0: And we'll let Stephen respond to it. <laughs> what, what? What? How, how well, do we get new information in terms of DNA, etc.? I mean...
4: Uh,
2: um, it, DNA changes by accident because by, um, by mistakes in copying, for example. Some of those mistakes we call disease. Other kinds of mistake give the organism an advantage, an, an advantage that brings it to the stage that it can reproduce. And so it propagates that mistake, that beneficial mistake in this case, as far as it's concerned anyway, into its progeny.
4: But, Professor, I'm not talking about changes. I'm talking about novel, new inter- information being introduced. But, that
3: was
0: my but, point. But what do well, you I mean by I novel information? I, let, let, let's all change yeah, of information is novel. Stephen, what did you want yeah. to say?
3: Well, yeah, I just, the question is not how you, you modify existing uh, information. It's how you get the uh, how you get information in the first place. To get life going, I used to ask my students. Yeah,
2: my okay, let's I, focus on that. If, if you want yeah. to build let, let's allow Stephen to, to, yeah.
3: to. get, If you want to give your computer program a new... A new function. What do you have to give it? You have to give it digital code to get life going. You need digital information in the in the DNA molecule, and probably a lot of other information as well. And that is the subject of my book. This is the reason that that Professor Dawkins and others acknowledge that there is no evolutionary explanation for the origin of the first life, and that is, that is because uh, sci- scientists in that field have been unable to account for the origin of the information necessary to get life going in the first place. Once you have life... You may be able to um, generate some modest amounts of new information by the kind of mutation. Okay, Stephen. Dr. Can, can, uh, Atkins is talking about, yeah. but even that, but, but getting yeah. the, the vast amounts that are necessary for major macroevolutionary transitions is also problematic.
2: Yeah. Well, I would just I was about to say, Stephen, that um, if scientists came up with an explanation of the origin of life, uh, would you close your doors?
3: Oh, a- absolutely not. I mean, then we, we would Seriously? get on board with it. We're we're yeah. You you act as if we have a hidebound prejudice that we, we uh, uh, Well, you do, don't you?
2: Really, we on, are reasoning
3: honest. from no, reasoning based on presuppositions. I my own story are. is that I started with an evolutionary perspective on these questions and was persuaded that there was positive evidence for intelligent design and and uh, mm. you, know, you see
2: I, that gets um, back to what I call intellectual laziness really because I think intellectual laziness underlies the whole intelligent design uh, uh, but are you not problem? suggesting
0: by that that it's intellectually lazy to believe that there are problems with evolution and that evolution isn't oh, no. a satisfactory account I mean surely uh, it's intellectually lazy no. to believe that this is a theory that has no, absolutely no gaps in it and can, cannot be ever questioned no, don't, don't, don't distort my position And then also
3: intellectually lazy to, to just uh, assume uh, and that that some materialistic process was responsible, whatever the evidence?
2: Uh, because, um, <laughs> let me try to collect my thoughts on that. Um, I, I think, I start, of course, from a materialistic uh, uh, um, position. My position is that the simplest explanations are adequate explanations, unless they can be shown to be deficient.
3: Uh, Materialism has led into very non-simplistic simple explanations. Oh yes, I'm I'm not
2: saying that it, but you have very simple un- ideas underlying explanations, but sometimes they result in extraordinarily complex mechanisms. For example, uh, reproduction itself, sexual reproduction, the the idea behind it, you know, just replication of DNA, is exceptionally simple, extremely beautiful. But the but implementing it in a cellular organism is an extraordinarily complex. Um, Device and it's amazing that it that it works, but it has emerged through evolution without a design component. There is no need to invoke design in order to account for what we observe.
4: I think, but the
3: problem- Professor, what I'm getting at is why why is it any more or less lazy to say that uh, that an intelligent designer did. Something than to say that an undirected evolutionary process. Oh, because
2: something. you, you, clo- cases, you, you an close. No, you close. one way and the other not. Well, because you're closing the door on further explanation. But, but you're so saying. Does, no, let me finish.
3: So, so you're, you're, you're saying, saying that the materialist explanation is the answer, and
0: it has to be the, uh, the, the, the answer. <laughs> I think Mark was say saying. So. Uh, well, you're saying, Mark, it, it cuts both ways. Yeah, effectively,
4: that same door swings both ways. So, so, so I agree. It,
3: is, it, it does. But also, the missing piece here is the, the interesting research questions that are being generated by the, by the idea of intelligent design. Um, and I lay those no, out well, in my I, book, for example. Yeah. What, what, it's often said intelligent design is a science stopper. It makes no predictions. Well, from the, from the mid-'90s, intelligent design has made a very interesting prediction that is now being, uh, being confirmed by recent discoveries about the so-called junk DNA for, since the, the 60s or since the 80s, uh, many Darwinists claimed that the non-coding regions of the genome were junk and that that was the, the, the missing evidence of the uh, trial and error process of natural selection producing uh, gibberish in the genome. We predicted in the 90s that if our theory was correct that we would find that the non-coding regions of the genome were not junk but but instead were importantly functional. Since the publication of the ENCODE project in 2007, there's been just a wealth of information showing that that prediction is correct. This is an example of intelligent design leading to new scientific inquiry and making predictions that are in fact being confirmed.
2: Well, I've already conceded that intelligent design does raise questions that we materialist scientists have an obligation to answer. And in that particular case, people were already speculating on the, 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 the you know, non-intelligent designers, call them stupid non-designers, if you like, were were, were also uh, considering um, the role of junk DNA. It wasn't a um, a closed book before you came up with your
4: suggestion. But with respect, no, no, don't no, you have an obligation not- to let other people try and answer those as I well.
2: Um, well, they can go out and play their, their intellectual games in,
0: in, in, in the, in the schoolyard if they like. We're going well, to have to take a quick break and we're going to come back just for the final couple of minutes and, uh, and that's all the time we'll have with our guests in the studio. Um, uh, so much more that we could say and want to go into, but uh, of course the, the, we've got a, our time limits here. Um, you're listening to a programme where we're looking at this new, uh, well it's not that new actually, it came out in 2008 in America, expelled the movie uh, on intelligent design, but it's just uh, landing up on British Shore on dvd the end of january Uh, we've got links to where you can get hold of a copy at the podcast premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable also to stephen's book that he's mentioned a few times uh, signature in the cell Uh, so do check out the podcast and uh, don't forget um, that we've got um, a special event coming up and i'm going to tell you all about it on the other side of this break Welcome back to the programme. Well, before we have uh, final thoughts from the guests who join me on the programme today, uh, Peter Atkins, Stephen C. Meyer and Mark Havel, let me tell you that uh, if you want to get involved and see what all the fuss is about, I do invite you to join premier Christian radio and unbelievable for a special film screening of Expelled the movie. It's happening on Saturday the 27th of February. It's uh, at the prestigious venue of the Large Lecture Theatre at Imperial College London Uh, so an interesting place for a film that debates the place of certain scientific theories within the community uh, that it should take place there. Uh, We're going to be having an invited panel of uh, guests across the debate um, who are going to be debating the film afterwards So it'll be a fascinating one for those who enjoy this kind of a programme. Once again, that's February the 27th at uh, 2.30pm at Imperial College London, which is in South Kensington. Uh, Now, uh, do let other people know if you know people who would enjoy this. And the place that they should visit to book your tickets for the small price of £5 is premier.org.uk forward slash expelled. Or you can go to my webpage equally and there's a link through to the uh, ticket booking system that's at premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable. And don't forget that with the podcast of this program, as we look at the film Expelled, I'm putting on links as well to the book Signature in the Cell to where you can get hold of the UK release of the DVD and um, other interesting sort of pages and places that you will want to visit in regard to this whole discussion. Uh, again premier.org.uk forward slash unbelievable let's get back into the final part of our discussion today you're listening to unbelievable on premier christian radio it's been a fascinating discussion uh, during the course of today. So much more, as I say, that I wish we could have got to, but um, no time, unfortunately. Stephen, what are your final thoughts as, as we come to the end of the programme today? Uh, do, do we, is talking to Peter rather like your experience uh, in the film Expelled, of feeling like there's a scientific wall which it's very hard to smash through?
3: Well, actually, I've rather enjoyed it, and I hope, uh, <laughs> Professor, we, we get to ma- meet next time I come to Britain. Uh, you're rather more congenial figure than I was told to expect, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I, and uh, the, the concession he makes, I think, is important, because uh, you know, e- even if by his definition, the advocates of intelligent design aren't uh, scientists or aren't uh, doing science, uh, if we're asking useful questions and important questions, it might be it might be useful to keep us around, and it certainly would be important not to be suppressing the ideas of uh, members of the scientific community, like Richard Sternberg or uh, Guillermo Gonzalez or Carolyn Crocker or the, the different scientists that are whose stories are told in the film, it would be very important not to persecute folks like that and allow them to raise their questions about Darwinism and even pr- promote the I- idea of intelligent design. They have proper scientific credentials if they're in scientific positions. Even if the view they they are espousing is not regarded by some scientists as being science, uh, it's, it's important for the advance of science to work out those definitional arguments and those, those differences of theoretical position, and that uh, the the key message of the film is that there should be freedom of inquiry to allow those arguments to go forward, even if they're arguments about how we define science, because that's how science advances.
0: Thank you so much for being with me on the program today, Stephen. Peter, thank you so much for coming in. Um, You you, you made that concession that that, um, Stephen mentioned there. Um, Why, though, are intelligent design theories out of bounds? I mean, isn't... uh, We've been talking about presuppositions. You have a presupposition yeah. of materialism. Why is the presupposition of a possibility, at least, of design of uh, something beyond the material world, why well, is that out of bounds? Well,
2: first of all, we've not seen any need for it anywhere else in the scientific endeavour. It's it's remarkable that it's um, only where human beings seem to be involved that it's invoked. So... Um, That's something suspicious there, I think. Um, Secondly, I I think I won't move away from my position that I regard um, intelligent design as an intellectually lazy position. Because although um, they do all sorts of weird and wonderful arguing, ultimately they're going to say there comes a point where the only answer will be that God did it. Or sorry, you mustn't call it God. Must we? We must call it an agent. Did it? Sorry to um, invoke the deity there. But thirdly, I want to end on a, a, a more positive note, and the positive note is that I think everyone, both of a non-religious and religious disposition, should take pride in the fact that the human brain has emerged and is capable of. Understanding, understanding seemingly without limit. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful um, organ and a, a wonderful aspect of the physical world. And for people like Stephen and his colleagues to suggest that there is an area where the human mind cannot penetrate and cannot give understandable, comprehensible explanation. I think that's a denial of humanity.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. And just a very brief um, uh, finishing up uh, from from Mark. Tell us, Mark, uh, the the DVD is going to be available from the end of January. Why should people go out and buy it?
4: Well, go and buy the DVD. Seeing Stephen got some free plugs for his book. (laughs) Um, You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Play.com or... Uh, Christianvideos.co.uk or HMV or wherever you like. It's listed on all of those places to pre-order. You must buy the DVD because the, uh, regardless of the risk of being kicked under the table by Professor Atkins here, atheism in my opinion has some very dangerous uh, possibilities to it. Materialistic atheism has very dangerous possibilities. As religion does, of course. As, religion does as well. I would agree. Um, And so the problem with that is it's not just about science, scientists uh, being discriminated against. There are far wider and far more important, far reaching uh, other things that need to be considered because science affects how we fund schools, what we do for research, for medicine. So if we take wrong directions, they can cost lives. There are consequences to these things. Abortion, euthanasia, there are moral and ethical questions which are all dealt with in the programme. So it's a very interesting and an oftentimes funny uh, documentary to watch.
0: Yeah, and we should mention that. It, it does; It is light-hearted in its way. But thank you, gentlemen all, for being with me on the programme today. I'll be back in just a moment with some of your commentary and telling you, of course, about the event where we'll be screening that controversial film.